WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hittin' Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn, and with me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Happy Friday. Happy No Baseball Week. Yes, but as we are, as people are hearing us have this conversation, the Phillies are returning this evening on Friday. Uh, they will play the San Diego Padres for four games, and we'll get to jump back in to this terrible mess we call baseball as Yay. two teams trying to dig themselves out of holes try to do it against each other. And uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. Should be a fun series. Should be an illuminating series, I would say. Uh, but before that happens, there's been quite a bit of activity on the baseball calendar leading up to the start of the second half. And part of that has been the Major League Baseball draft, which I know you and I are, I think, specialists is the word. I mean, uh, of course. <laughs> Did I uh, look up I... his name approximately 15 seconds ago? Totally not. I didn't do that. <laughs> there, there are experts out there who are breaking down the draft in total, the Phillies draft specifically. Uh, and those experts certainly know more than Liz and I about the draft picks the Phillies made. However, oh, yeah. uh, we wanted to sh- shine a little bit of light on what the Phillies did in the draft. Uh, they obviously picked nowhere near the top, being the defending National League champions. Their first pick was at 27. Uh, and they went with a shortstop named Aiden Miller. Uh, and uh, Bleacher Report gave them a B-plus for this draft. Sporting News gave them an A if that means anything to you. And Keith Law at ESPN didn't trash the Phillies, which I feel is Whoa! at least a B. Yeah, I don't subscribe to the notion that a lot of national guys just straight up don't like the Phillies. But in Keith Law's case, Keith he Law definitely does, does not like them. And I also personally believe he's bad at his job. I have a lot of thoughts on draft people. Like, let's not forget Kylie McDaniel was oh, yeah. excused he's out there. from like actual law breaking and he's like no one ever talked about it again he was instrumental to the brave to john coppolella getting banned for life he actually carried out all of the stuff that they were doing with signing young prospects which amounted amounted to child trafficking i'm just saying it because people love to forget it when you when it comes to draft guys listen to local guys do not listen to national guys ever yeah, and yeah, he's still out there, Kylie McDaniel, um, sharing opinions on this draft. Yep. So yeah, that was just permitted to continue to happen. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. But did I get case, through that without swearing? Did I manage to get through that without swearing? I think we did okay. Yeah. <laughs> High five, everybody! High five. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the Phillies went with Aiden Miller, who he, he's listed as shortstop. He's listed as a third baseman. I mean, he, he's considered a shortstop that hits for power. Who's not going to stick at shortstop as a major leaguer? Have you? What's the last time you heard of a shortstop that was drafted that they said, "Yeah, he's definitely going to be a shortstop in the future." It's always like, "Yeah, he'll he'll definitely move." Like this is not a future shortstop. It makes you wonder where do shortstops come from in general because they never seem to be able to stick at that position. Uh, J.P. Crawford? 
There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, am I the only one who remembers this? He's, I mean, he is a, yeah, I mean, he has played some third base, but I believe he plays primarily shortstop and has his entire career. Yeah, that's that's the that's a that's a great example actually. But in uh, in Miller's <laughs> case, he's not supposed to stick stick at shortstop. Carlos Colazzo at Baseball America had the Phillies actually taking a left-handed catcher, uh, Blake Mitchell, at, at, with their pick. But I th- oh, wow. um, I think that yeah. But uh, Miller was also a player who wasn't necessarily expected to be available when the Phillies took him. He could have gone anywhere from ten to thirty-four. He went at twenty-seven. Um, it sounds like Miller has a lot of pop for a guy who plays short. He's got a strong arm, average speed, which is probably why the shortstop thing is not projected to yeah. work out. <laughs> he's got a wacky swing with a big old kick and hitch, but he's apparently able to barrel up on more pitches because of it. And he's been playing on the uh, USA national team since he was like 14. And this past year for the 18 and under squad, he started all nine games of, of the tournament, hit 478, and was named to the all-world team as a right fielder. Uh, he was named the batting champion of the tournament and was the third player since 2010 to hit three triples in a single tournament. <laughs> so, all right. I mean, well, all he's these guys... definitely hitting the crap out of pitching at that level. <laughs> Let's move him up somewhere else. <laughs> all these guys uh, have like quite the resume when they get drafted, especially in the first round. I mean, this is I'm not I'm not trying to downplay his accomplishments. That was all very impressive bunch of things that he's done. But I think part of the reason Liz and I aren't always uh, on the cutting edge of prospect talk is because they, you know, these guys get drafted when they're teenagers, when they're in their early twenties. And then, you know, it's cool. You learn about them a little bit and then you don't really, <laughs> unless you go out of your then way, they you don't really hear their names again. Years. Exactly. For like half they a decade. They get abducted by aliens and you don't hear about them unless you're, they're being really great or they've been extremely disappointing. There's a lot that can happen between draft day and the major leagues, and I don't mean that to, to dwell in the negative. It's just the fact it's something that sets baseball apart, I think, from other drafts, and it can make following – it oh, makes yeah. following draft picks much more of a – maybe not a chore, but something of an effort because sometimes they're playing in leagues that you just don't hear about a whole lot down in the, the Gulf Coast <laughs> League and down in low A and everything. Um, and speaking of which, as far as like things that can happen – Part of the reason Aiden Miller was available where he was was that he had a hand injury. He actually had the same broken bone in his hand that Dom Brown suffered from, uh, his hammock bone. And, and Mike uh, Trout is currently on the uh, the IL-4. Yeah, that yeah, and Mike Trout. And I read he might be tough to sign because he's committed to Arkansas, which is what I thought scared the Phillies away from high schoolers in the, in the past. But, uh, hey, sounds like he's about one of, like, ten exciting young players the Phillies could have drafted in that spot. And, again, I look forward to hearing his name for the second time in, like, four years. But uh, just to run through mm-hmm. a couple of the picks the Phillies made after their first pick, uh, obviously they made a ton of picks. We're not going through all of them. But after Miller in round three, they went with a shortstop outfielder, Devin Saltabon from Hawaii. They got a Hawaiian Ooh. outfielder, and Shane Victorino texted him and said, hey, welcome to Philly. Oh, my which God. Which is very cool. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, Shane. that was really cool. Aww. That's wait, that, he, It's nice that he took a few minutes out of being a Hawaiian pot magnet to uh, <laughs> uh to I, I just I it's really cute how much he still cares like he doesn't show up everywhere because he's not you know one of the all-time guys but he'll come out he still he still cares that's awesome 
Oh yeah, he has strong attachments to Philly, and then obviously Hawaii. So this yeah. is like uh, this is a very cool. I'm sure that was cool for him to just be like, oh cool, another oh, a guy from Hawaii going. Like one to the of Phillies. the like, handful is... of baseball players from Hawaii. I don't think there's like a, a like a huge number of them. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. So that was pretty cool. Uh, in round four, the Phillies picked Tayshawn Walton uh, out of IMG Academy in Florida. He's apparently got more size than strength at the moment. He's what? showcased <laughs> more. He's a, he's a big he's a big guy, but has shown more speed than power is what that means. And the so Phillies are confident. So he's got no muscle. Is what's happening? He's large, but has no muscle. <laughs> the Phillies are confident their hitting lads can work with him. <laughs> They're confident that they get him into the gym. <laughs> Something might happen. <laughs> Around six, I've not jo- seen this man, and I'm not making any jokes about his size, but it's hilarious. Like he is more large than strong. Yeah, hey, it happens. No, <laughs> it happens there's nothing to the best wrong of with us. it. I'm I'm very tall, but I cannot dunk a basketball. That is true. That's <laughs> exactly. I'm short, but I am not graceful. <laughs> Well, rough, uh, in round six, the Phillies went with a right-handed pitcher named George Klassen out of the University of Minnesota. He had Tommy John surgery in 2021, returned with the ability to throw 100 miles an hour. So that's just the rookie, that's just rookie of the year, the movie in real life. That's literally just rookie of the year, the movie. What's going to happen is he's either going to fall somewhere. Doesn't have to be on the field, maybe in the shower, playing with a child, walking to his car. And right. it's all going to go away. He'll need a second Tommy John surgery, and then it'll be better forever. He's Yeah, he just needs to slip on a baseball, fly cartoonishly high into the air in front of the girl he likes from his school. And, uh, yeah, and we'll just we'll go from there. The velo spike is going to be impressive. I think people are going to like that a lot. Uh, yeah. In round seven, they, they picked Jake Eddington, a right-handed pitcher out of Missouri State. He also had Tommy John surgery. He did not come back with higher velocity. No, <laughs> no. Oh, crap. He's no, a, you don't want to be that guy. He's a slider specialist now, looking to create imbalance against hitters with a quieter fastball. Uh, and in round eight, say. <laughs> they picked a third baseman named Bryson Ware out of Auburn. He went from hitting one home run in 2022 to hitting 24 home runs in 2023. <laughs> his, slash, his slash line exploded from one year to the next, so he figured something out in between those seasons. <laughs> How old is this kid? 22. Okay, so he just got whatever the last remaining bits of his growth spurt are just finished. (laughs) All of it's over. He's now a complete human product, and everything (laughs) is just working. Like, all at once, it's like like when when you see someone uh, undoing a safe, like breaking into a safe on television. All the little thingies just clicked into place. Well, that's uh, that's who the Phillies picked with their in the first eight within the first eight rounds of the MLB draft. Uh, all those notes, courtesy of Scott Lauber's write up on each and every draft pick the Phillies made. So, uh, if you want to learn more, I'd head over to the Inquirer and just check out Scott Lauber's column on the Phillies draft picks. Uh, but while they were doing that, we were watching the All Star Game and the Home Run Derby. And Liz, I mean, I wanted to ask just up front here. You watched the Home Run Derby. You watched the All Star Game, as did I. Uh, how how would you rate you know the collective event this year, the collective Midsummer <laughs> Carnival of Baseball? I think collectively it was like a net positive. I think it was fun for everybody. The National League won. Thank God. I hate the American League Junior Circuit. Can. Anyway. Do you really? I was. I don't think I was aware of this animosity. No, what do you, what do you hate a, about the American League? It really is only during the All Star Game. Ah, it's just okay. then because the AL has won so many times. Gotcha. 
And that's really it. Like, the NL is one next year, and I just, because my favorite team is an NL team, I just straight up want them to make them feel bad. Just <laughs> just for fun, because no one else cares about it. It's just a momentary thing. Like, the players probably don't care about it long term. It's just, like, a good-natured rivalry, because it doesn't mean anything anymore. And that's, like, all this is for me. Hate, this type of hate is fun for me. <laughs> this is this is fun hate because no one gets hurt. <laughs> yep. This is this is harmless. It's not like hating the Mets or the Braves or whatever. That is that has consequences. Yes. This, this just doesn't matter. That's true. Uh I thought it was a very fun All-Star game. I was yeah. very pleased. It was thrilling. There were multiple great defensive plays. Randy Rosarena got to do his iconic pose, which obviously he's been a fun player to watch for a long time and I mean, he's just, you know, he continues to blow up, and he's just, well, man, I love watching him play. Uh, I believe it was Sean Murphy of the Braves who threw out a base stealer, and it was like the first caught stealing in the All-Star game since 2011, which yeah. is really crazy. Uh, Luis Arise had a... The NL a... came out. The NL show... It was the NL East specifically that made a difference in the That's All-Star true. game. That's true. Luis Arise, had, he had a homer overturned, but he still, you know, he he obviously hit. He had like, I think, two first That was Lourdes pitch... Gurriel. Oh, Lourdes Gurriel. Sorry. Yeah. Luis Man, Arise. I remember that. <laughs> wow. Luis Arise had, I believe, two hits, like two first pitch mm-hmm. singles because that's just what he, he does. does. Uh, my favorite thing that happened, Elias Diaz, 32-year-old catcher, the sole, like the Rockies representative. You know, they're a, a bad franchise, having a bad year. And, they, you know, the, he was the guy they sent. Never been into the All-Star game before. Won the game with a two-run home run for the National League, which broke a nine-year losing streak, as yeah. you were saying. I mean, that was just – that's always cool because those are the guys that are sometimes the most fun to watch at the All-Star game because th- there's always going to be that debate of like, okay, so who should go? The people we know are stars but might not be having their best season ever or the people who this year are having a really good season. And sometimes that question gets answered for you because every team has to send somebody. So, you know, on a team like the Rockies, yeah, they're going to wind up sending – a guy who's like having a solid year, even though they're just a bad team. Uh, and to see that guy like be the hero is is awesome. I, yeah, I, I love I love seeing that. Me too. I was very happy. I mean, my my feeling it was that like with Rob Thompson managing, he was going to put some Phillies in there, and he did. And my my whole thing was, do not embarrass us. <laughs> I don't care if you if you could strike. I don't care whatever it is. Just don't cause any negativity striking out grounding out that's fine don't fall down don't accidentally get out don't do something stupid just be fine and they gave me more than that like they were good like honestly it's true my, my main my main goal was for them to not be a net negative and they were actually positive without them they and i wouldn't have won Honestly, it was, yeah, specifically the Phillies' performances here. Rob Thompson Rob Thompson did look extremely uncomfortable during the stand-up-to-cancer moment where they, oh, they jammed the camera in everyone's faces. I felt so bad for it. His eyes were, like, darting back and forth cartoonishly as they just shoved this camera in his face. Yeah, uh, I felt for, that's not That's not an easy place to be, but he no. was great. He was great. He has steady presence, as always, in the in the dugout. He let Nick Castellanos play center for five innings. I know! <laughs> So long. I I thought he was going to get a few more guys in there, but nope. He was just like, no, you could go stay. And I'm just like, 
<laughs> Did they not have like was there a, is there a shortage of center fielders in in the National League if Nick Castellanos played over half the game? The I All-Star don't know. Game? <laughs> I gotta wonder. I kind of want to look back at some previous All Star games to see what the changes were like. But I feel like because it was a a, a really close game, mm-hmm. I feel like Thompson was like managing to win. That's why he yeah. put his own players in. Yeah. You don't put players in that you don't know if you want to win. That's true, and he did it again in the ninth, which I think was pretty expected when he, he made sure his his closer, Craig Kimbrell, was still available uh, to close out the game, which he did. Took a little longer than we thought. Oh, uh, God. But that just added to the entertainment. My God, uh, Knuck- like white-knuckling it on my couch, <laughs> just like gripping you know, my own wrist. Like, I don't even know what to what to grab onto. I'm just like, why are you doing this? It was perfect. The first two batters were easy. And what, walked per- two straight guys? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say it was Craig. a pair of two-out walks, right? Yeah, and that was uh, that looked like trouble was brewing. But, yeah, he managed to get that last out. Uh, it was a strikeout, right? He struck out the last guy. Um, and, yeah, Nick Castellanos went one for two at the plate with a walk. He was on base when Elias Diaz hit his home run and scored one of the National League's three runs. Uh, like the team this year, Liz, there were the Phillies quietly in the middle of everything, but largely unnoticed. I thought it was just very indicative of their presence in the National League right now. I like it. Two Phillies made a difference, and the Braves, who sent eight players, eh. <laughs> they did okay. They did fine. They did fine. You know, whatever. But I also There's- want to point out to every other National League team that they suck. <laughs> the broadcast was really harping on the the Rangers having so many guys in the starting lineup for the American League, which which I get. You know, that's a team that when we were playing them on opening day, I still look back to um, a friend and I just going through that lineup and being like, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. This is a joke. The Phillies are going to win. And then, of course, they swept the Phillies <laughs> after coming from behind on opening day. And probably the most gut-wrenching Phillies game, I've regular season Phillies game I've ever watched. That was uh, a bad day in, in, <laughs> the, uh, in the Roshore house. <laughs> that oh, was not a funny thing. We were just unhappy and drinking. <laughs> uh, so what do you think, speaking of the broadcast, what do you think of talking to players during a game? This has become something that's happening in any, pretty much any form of game, from the preseason to an exhibition like the All-Star game to, like, games that really matter, to like two players in the middle of a game where they sometimes have to stop talking and go field the baseball. David O'Brien of The Athletic complained about it. Oh, but, but he you know, sucks. He's a, he's Sorry, a bit of he's a cranky the worst. Pants. <laughs> he really is, and this is this is the one time. Like I'm, I'm most, I'm almost entirely against it because I don't think it serves any purpose. Uh, but this is the one time where I think it is fun. This mm-hmm. and I guess and spring training too be, would be fine. Uh, the players are relaxed. The game doesn't matter. It's all just a carnival and a fun time. Having Mookie a good Betts time. and Freddie Freeman had a lot of really fun banter when they he were mic'd up. Great. He was the only one that I think really completely understood what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He. Now, here's my problem. Like, they have so... They, they put so much work into the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. Work as in whatever work they're willing to do. There's more they could be doing. But they've actually done a lot. They're talking to players, which the players may not like, but the fans like. You know, they've really encouraged the carnival atmosphere. The Home Run Derby is just so much fun. All the players just have a ball, except if you're... If you're Pete Alonzo. <laughs> Pete Alonzo. I'm just going to take this minute. Pete Alonzo 
like during everyone's 30 second break during their round, like everyone, like their teammates would come up or even ra- like just uh, other random players would come up, like fan them, wipe them down, like joke with them. You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of Hispanic Latino players there. It was all very much like a brotherhood and like, Pete Alonso stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, Adley Rutschman actually managed to get buddy-buddy. He seemed a little awkward. But it's his first, you know, it's his first all-star game, I think. And, you know, that's fine. But, like, Pete Alonso's been around for a while. During his 30-second break, no one came up to him. No one spoke to him. <laughs> really going for the throat here. Usually when I make fun of Pete Alonso, it's just like, yeah, he's like a dork who who doesn't no. ever get the compliments that he thinks he deserves. And, you know. But I, I, this he... is just an example. <laughs> no one likes him. Like, at least a few people were – like, I think most of the guys just don't know Adley Rutschman. I think, like, a couple of the dudes came up and were, like, joshing with him, which was great. But, like, Alonzo, no one got near him. Like, it was really something. Maybe he's just that intimidating. You know? Nope, I think uh, <laughs> no one likes him, and I think it's obvious to everybody that he's just unfriendly and just lame. Anyway, what the the point is, what I was saying is that they put a lot of work into it, but they haven't gone. There's like a little bit more they could do, and that I think they might be willing to do because Joe Davis is a great announcer. Um, John Smoltz sucks as an announcer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, I'm going to say probably an unpleasant person. Um, I have no proof of that. I'm just going to assume it. Uh, what they're not good at collectively is asking baseball players questions. Yeah. And that's honestly one of my problems with it is because it really acts like a shortcut. It's almost like, oh, if broadcasting a baseball game is too hard, then why don't we just come up with a gag for you because you're not good at it. Like John Smoltz, let's fill instead of this awkward dead air or, or airtime of John Smoltz complaining about everything. Let's just have them talk to the players on the field. And that way it'll take that off the table. You know, it feels, it feels just like a, like a cheat to me. And you know, maybe if you do it for one inning, okay, fine. But like they're doing it every inning and they're removing the need to be broadcasters almost, you know, yeah. like why are and that's Why are they it. there? See, here's the thing. They could make it an all-star game by having some players come in and broadcast a couple of innings. Yeah, I'd rather have guys who know those guys talking exactly. to them and asking them questions. You know, they have a couple of dudes down asking questions on, on you know, the on-deck circle, um, you know, over in the dugout when a player's at, you know, third, you know, wherever it is they're in the field. You know, they could do that. Like, that is a great thing. They could just sort of, like, switch over to whoever. Like, there are ways to make this better. I think I might actually write about this. I'm going to write about this. I think that is a way to make the All-Star game even better and to make people tune in more. Why wouldn't you want to tune in if you've got, you know, uh, let's see. God. I mean, I just saw Ozzy Guillen speak, and so he's the first person that comes to mind. But, like, actual Jim players. Rollins. just Jimmy, well, yeah, Jimmy Rollins, actual former players, but like actual current players. Oh, oh, you're talking. Okay, I, I think like because some of these guys are going to end up as broadcasters. Oh yeah, big some time. of the guys, Mookie Betts, uh, exactly. Mookie Betts will, will probably have his own like late night talk show. Honestly, give, <laughs> exactly. <in> give <laughs> these guys a chance if they're not in the All Star game. 
to do something else. It's another form of skills competition. Or even if they are in the All-Star game, have a shot of them, like, running down the steps, take, you know, taking the suit off like Superman with a uniform underneath, and then, like, going to their first at bat in the seventh inning, having having broadcasted the whole game. I mean, yeah, it's the All-Star game. Stuff like Instead that. Instead of the, the Star-Spangled Banner, why don't we treat this like an actual, like, an, an, the, this is not the Olympics, but why not have kind of like an opening ceremony? Why well, not I guess actually that... make this like you can make the playoffs as portentous as you want to like baseball loves to take itself seriously. And I think the playoffs is a great time to do that. The all-star game is not a time to do that. The all-star game is a time to have fun. And there are ways to make this fun without making it stupid. And I they think MLB is really afraid of that. They do the red carpet beforehand as a as an opening ceremony of sorts. That's not really like my bag, but I get the appeal. I get why people like it. Um, that is something they do beforehand. But uh, but in general, yeah, you're right. This is not the night to be pretentious and take yourself seriously. This is the night to throw a party. I mean, I love one of my favorite parts of this this weekend is is watching the kids in the outfield of the home run derby running like like uh like a fit like fish in a tank basically just from from ball to ball as this cluster of children and they're all like ah running to where like where the ball is going to land and try to catch it it's just it's hilarious uh and it's a great way to like keep kids involved because they should be it's baseball you know yeah i mean you could make it a whole i just came from the saber convention why not like when else do all players get together never I guess labor disputes. <laughs> labor disputes. But like, why not? Like, the All Star Game is in one city, and then maybe at the end of the season, there's like a, I don't know. Like, there's a way to. I like the idea of turning it into a party, and celebrating all the All Stars, but also celebrating baseball as a whole. Like the the Hall of Famers get inducted at the end of this month. Mm. Like this could be July. Could be. The month to celebrate baseball. They could turn it into Baseball History Month. Oh, yeah. Jeez. I'm inventing <laughs> ideas. For you are MLB a good right idea now, machine. <laughs> I'm going to listen back to this and write it all down. Because now that I've said it, it's out of my head forever. But, like, these are legitimately good ideas that they could do. Like, they want to make baseball the sport of the people, which I know it really... I know the owners don't want it, but that's what baseball has been. They want to make baseball a sport of the people. Give the people a chance to access the players. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Teams yeah. don't have fan fests on the same day. Try to, you know, Sabre has Sabre Day every year where everyone in their areas goes and they, you know, they they have like a a special event or a talk. Like, there's a way to do all of this and to get people involved in the sport of baseball more than any other any fans are involved with any other sport and it's the easiest with baseball i think yeah i don't disagree season's so long don't disagree on any particular point um, sorry i'm just i'm just like so many no, ideas no. i have this a lot of, it brings out a lot of opportunities for great ideas one of which is the home run derby tiebreaker for the all-star game itself we didn't get to see it there's a chance we might uh, but it's going to be so weird when that finally happens. Like, yeah. I love how rare of a thing, like it's so rare. It hasn't even happened yet. And I forget what year they decided that was going to be the rule, but it's a great idea. Yep. And it's the only time 
you're, you're, you would see that, which I think is great. You need a couple of things like that. I mean, that's what people say interleague play ruined the All-Star game because you never used to see players from either league playing like against each other regularly except in the World Series or at the All-Star game. And it made it that much more watchable and fun and interesting. And the All-Star game doesn't have that anymore because, you know, especially this year where it's like everybody's playing everybody. So that idea isn't really novel anymore. But it, things like this that can only happen at the All-Star game that are just for the All-Star game, there should be more stuff like that going on because it's that's the opportunity to do that. I don't, I'm not talking about like experimenting with the rules or even, you know, uh, put home field advantage in the World Series on the line. So make it impactful. Like, no, we, we don't need that. It can just be fun. It can. It doesn't have to have implications on, on anything else. It can just be a fun time for the players and the fans it, to watch the players. It could just be baseball. Yeah. Baseball itself is enough. Baseball itself is enough to get, you know, f more fans involved, which is what they want. Like, uh, they're hoping that these certain game times is going to, I mean, there there's already been an increase in attendance around baseball. The Phillies, I think, have had the biggest jump. Shocking. Um, but, like, they're, they're hoping that these shorter game times are going to get more people in. And I, I think they're not on the wrong track but they just want to do really as little as possible and as much as they can to line their own pockets and mm. they're unfortunately to get more out of us they have to actually invest more in the sport well it's funny you mentioned that because the next topic i wanted to bring up <laughs> was liz Rob Manfred says he wants to be reelected as your Major League Baseball commissioner. <laughs> he wants to be back. According to Evan Drellick of The Athletic, Rob Manfred is on a five-year deal that will end on January 25th, 2025. Currently, or no, in two weeks, a nine-month window will open in which he can be reelected by simply a majority vote of the owners rather than the three-quarters majority vote he would need at any other time. My question is, why does this rule exist? I don't know. <laughs> what is the point of this? I don't know. I it's like just, a weird video game bonus round. Like he just like, gets a special nine-month period where it's easier for him to keep his job if they vote. Like, I don't understand. I, why? To reward him, I guess, for a job well done. <laughs> well, or I guess something? from their in their mind, that is, that is That's true. That's exactly but. it. Like, I don't understand why that would exist other than who the hell put that in there. I forgot. Put that there. Is, I forgot it's technically an elected position, which is just a funny idea. Yeah, we, it's, obviously it, it's the not. It, it's not. They say that, but it's just like yeah. you need, you know, you need either, what is it, 16 or what is it, 25. I understand. I know what numbers This is why are. we don't do math nope. when we're recording. This I, is just, like all time and time again. All those ideas just fell out of my brain and there's <laughs> nothing left. Everything is caved in. On has, the area where that used to be. <laughs> has Manfred done anything the owners would not like? Because, again, you know, I, I know we all know this, but Rob Manfred doesn't work for the fans. He works for the owners. Um, he is constantly having to claim he doesn't hate baseball, which is exactly what you want from a commissioner. Mm -hmm. uh, but, again, since he doesn't work for the fans and he works for the owners, 
It's really their judgment that determines his employment. So that's why I ask, has he done anything they wouldn't like? He is a very pro-owner uh, commissioner. I don't think he really cares about the fans at all. Uh, I know they'll complain, the owners will, about anything that makes them uncomfortable for even a single second. Uh, but he's firmly in their corner, in, in my mind. He's pro-management. There's no reason to think he's going anywhere. And honestly, stop trying to convince me you like baseball, Rob Manfred. You don't. <laughs> It's whatever. Stop trying to have it both ways. Like, the only time that you see Rob Manfred doesn't hate baseball or when Rob Manfred agrees to an interview so he can say, I don't hate baseball, and then there's technically, like, evidence out there that he doesn't hate baseball, but the evidence is just him saying he doesn't hate it, which obviously you don't believe. So, yeah, back to my question. Has he done anything the owners wouldn't like? Is there any reason to think he won't get to keep this job? I mean, there are some people who are unhappy. There are some owners that are unhappy that he gave up so much in the in the labor uh, in the uh, CBA. Hmm. Interesting. That is what I've heard. Like he had. That is pretty much it. Like the and it might be such that the gains from this year might wipe some of that away. Like it's entirely possible. So, like, I don't think he'll have trouble getting reelected but if it drags on I wouldn't be surprised because there's some guys who are just uh, unhappy because they hate spending money the guy who owes the Rockies uh, Jerry Reinstorf of the White Sox um, Bob Nutting of the Pirates um, the conglomeration of uh, <laughs> white guys in business suits that, that mm. own the Marlins <laughs> Yeah, I, I, his Drellick writes that Manfred's commissionership has been intense and controversial with myriad divisive decisions, the Astros cheating scandal and multiple labor fights among them. A's fans loathe him as the team pushes for a move to Las Vegas and Major League Baseball's contraction of minor league teams stirred plenty of outrage from the public, but notably not his bosses, the owners. My question yeah. is, has it really been controversial? Isn't that just a word we don't use correctly anymore? Like, yeah. It's it's more just bad and disrespectful. Like if yeah. there's no controversial, controversial makes it sound like among fans. Yeah, controversial makes it sound like oh yeah, he's this guy who like walks the line between the two sides and and sometimes does things that I don't know really throw the fundamentals of the sport into disarray. I don't know. To me, that's just it's not like, the word. It's just to avoid like using yeah. contra. I hate using that when I write. Like using a blanket term like that is just it's. I find that lazy because there's you could say more it's not controversial that's not a thing you know what is a fact is that fan he is massively unpopular with fans fans do not like him the A's fans matter? don't like him it does not matter but that is something that you could say like and you yeah. could just say his you know his reign has been massively unpopular with fans blah 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 you know though he has shortened game times etc etc you know, he's, you know, done all the things he's done that fans that, you know, many fans dislike list here. You know, the owners are likely very happy with him for since they now have more money. You're right. It's saying A's fans loathe him make it sound like they're a unique group in that respect. No. And they're not. I mean, think a about lot of the, people the... loathe Manfred for the for the A's move. A lot of people. Me. I think think about the cheating scandal. I mean. He gives Astros players immunity to, like, admit what they did. And he comes out of that with both, like, Dodgers, Yankees, and Astros fans all hating him 
because the uh, teams that aren't the Astros are like, well, that's way too soft a punishment, yeah. which obviously it is. And the Astros fans are like, any punishment at all? How dare you? And yeah. they're also mad. So I don't think I don't know if there's any fan base you could say <laughs> is like, yeah, Rob Manfred, he's our guy. I mean, I like fans should be upset that the Astros weren't dismantled, really. They should Even Manfred been. said he regretted giving the the players immunity for confessing to cheating. Uh, that, that that came out recently. Is it is it controversial if only one side is mad and it's the mm-hmm. side that has no power to stop him from doing anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that's the thing. You say controversial when you want to avoid actually bringing up things that have happened. You know what's a fact? The large the vast majority of fans were not positive about Rob Manfred's handling of the Astros thing. Astros fans were also unhappy, though they are also unhappy with anybody who criticizes them. Those are things you can say. You can make grand, you can make generalizations about a fan base when the reaction is so incredibly obvious. There was this, uh, to me, I think the most telling comment of his entire tenure was the piece of metal comment. And I know, it was just a short little thing oh. that he he probably forgot about until he saw people were complaining about it. Uh, but it was when he that. was... Well, what was that in, in the context of which he referred to the World Series trophy as just a piece of metal? And what was the context of that? He was like talking about having a team having to give it back... Um, I'm assuming this has to do with the Astros cheating scandal, but basically he just referred to the World Series trophy that all the teams are theoretically playing for every year as just a piece of metal. And to me, that just like showed the utter disdain. I can give the context. Would you like me to give some context? Oh, yeah, sure. Please, go ahead. Here's the full quote. The idea, um, the ESPN had asked um, whether, you know, the MLB should take the, the trophy back or put an asterisk and this is what he said the idea of an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal back seems like a futile act people will always know that something was different about the 2017 season and whether we made that decision right or wrong we undertook a thorough investigation had the um intestinal intestinal all right fortitude to share the results of that investigation even when those results were not very pretty so Zeroing in just on the piece of metal aspect of that, it just showed, like, the lack of interest he really has in baseball. Like, not just because he said it, but because he was like, oh, what I, my approach here should be downplaying the value of the trophy of the championship that this sport has. Which was also just a dumb way to approach it. It was just like that weird faux uh, negotiating table tough guy thing that he's supposed to do so well and instead it was just like hey everybody that thing that i'm in charge of that you all love i think it's stupid and you know it's just a piece of metal every time he talks to the fans he has to come back out and say his comments were taken out of context or that he didn't mean what he said like when he was like yeah it's partially oakland's fault that the team is having to move he said i think the the real question is what is it that oakland was prepared to do there is no oakland offer okay they never got to a point where they had to plan to build a stadium at any site and it's not just john fisher you don't build a stadium based on the club activity alone the community has to provide support and you know at some point you got you come to the realization it's just not going to happen he had to come back out and say oh well you're taken out of context. No. You know, blah blah blah. 
I don't think so, man. I mean, just don't don't feed stop feeding us that crap. Don't put a lie out there just because your rich bosses want it to be true. Or, you know, keep doing that, I guess. That is your job. But then stop trying to do damage control. Just be the bad guy. You're objectively the bad guy. Stop pretending you're not. Stop trying to spin. Stop trying to market. Stop trying to control the narrative. Just be your rich, pompous self, and we'll keep booing you. It's not like the system's ever going to change. Yes, completely true. Like, I... The pe- like, I get what he's saying I, with the piece of metal comment, but it's just he failed to realize that, like, yes, the 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 mantle of having, you know, won a World Series is, you know, a thing that, you know, you can't really take away from someone. So, you know, what good is taking away just this trophy? Failing to understand that the trophy is a symbol of that for them. It's actually, you know, it, it's... It is meaningful to them. Like, talk about, like, taking back the rings, maybe. But, like, at least an asterisk is appropriate. Like, an asterisk is appropriate because it shows that someone, some wrong was done. And someone Mm -hmm. was punished. And that he doesn't see that that's what needed to be done or that people needing to have something done was important. Like, it it wasn't all just about the punishments. It was about, like, a recognition that there was wrong done. Like everyone involved in that, he was just ready to move on. You know, he was like, I'm bored of talking about this. It's time for to, to other things to happen. Like, he was in agreement with, like, the Astros players who were like, honestly, it's, you know, I'm tired of talking about this. It's, it's over. It's like, no, you don't, you just don't get to decide that. You know, like, you don't, stop trying to, again, control this. It it would peter out on its own anyway, and largely has. You know, yeah, people still make fun of the Astros for cheating, and they should. It's part of their legacy. But it's not the first thing you think of when you think about baseball anymore. You know, the news cycle took a little longer to work it out, but it did. It always does. It always just churned it right back out, and everybody stopped talking about it. Stop trying to, like, no, let's zip it shut right here. We're in control of this. We're in control of the news cycle. No one... I mean, I guess some people technically are and try, but it was just like a bad try by him, by the Astros at the time, to try and get people to stop talking about it. And that's kind of that's what I'm saying about his commissionership at large here is that he just he 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 doesn't want to be held accountable in the small way we get to hold him accountable for what he says and does. He he doesn't want like a little bit of accountability is just too much, just like it was for the Astros and their fans. Like a, even just a small amount of blame, of accountability, of ownership just can't do it. Got to come back out and be like, "No, you're wrong. It's stupid. You think I hate baseball." No. Everything you say and do sounds like you hate baseball. <laughs> like don't mm-hmm. don't tell us not to think that. Also, every commissioner gets booed in every sport. It wouldn't matter if he was the best commissioner baseball ever had. People would be booing him at, like, the draft and stuff. Because at this point, it's just what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he, oh, he... The, here comes the, the principal. You know, our vice principal has to talk to us before the uh, before the the, uh, the dismissal or whatever. In, like, the auditorium. Like, yeah, you're going to get booed. He did seem surprised by the virulence of the booing from the Seattle crowd. And people are very quick to pin that on the cheating. And they forget that they play in the same division as the Astros. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, the cheating might've been part of it, but straight up they are a division rival. Would we not boo a bunch of Mets players if they were doing stuff for the all-star game in our stadium in 2026? Without thinking. Yes. 
Yeah. Braves players. Probably, I mean, they're probably, wow, they're a bunch of of teams players that we would boo, I think. Just just for the sake of booing them. Most assuredly. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, it's not always about the cheating. And I love that they want to make anyone disliking their team about the cheating. It's not. You're, like, we all still hate you because of that, but we all just still hate you anyway. We always did. You just made me think of a scenario. Um, what if the Giants go to the World Series in 2025? <laughs> and then Gabe Kapler is the manager of the NL All-Star team at, in Philadelphia in 2026. <laughs> Thanks for joining us uh, today on Hit and Season. <laughs> what, this has been what, the only host, Liz Rocher, <laughs> on behalf be of the fire, Justin Clue. <laughs> Uh, come on, seeing old faces. Everybody, everybody it. loves it. <laughs> I'm going to make you do something on or about Gabe Kapler if this happens. You're going to spend your all-star game. I don't care if I'm not your editor anymore, dude. Pass. Pass. Don't I will care. Go, I will go live in the woods by then. Yep. If I see that situation developing, I'll just go live you in the woods. You better, because otherwise you're going to spend your entire all-star game making up for this by just doing all spending i will get you credentials so you can go and profile gabe <laughs> kapler you think he'd say no he would love it no no i'm sure he would not <laughs> uh the phillies are back taking on a team that has similar postseason aspirations but is struggling to find their footing as well as baseball returns for its second half and the phillies take on the san diego padres liz did the padres have more talent pound for pound than the phillies do you feel Kind of, I think, you know, mm-hmm. Machado is mean, very good. I mean, maybe they're a little bit more equal. Like I remember last year they didn't really have Tatis, but like if all of their guys are, let's just think about their average output and not their recent output. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably pretty equal based on their current output. Somehow the Phillies have an edge, but only a little. Only a little, but uh, yeah, the Padres finished their first half. Seeming like they were finally getting a little hotter. They won five of their last six games, which, you know, isn't crazy, but it's the kind of sustained success they had not even achieved even at that level, it felt, so far this year. They still have a losing record starting the second half. I believe they're three games under five hundred, and the Phillies will play four games against them at home, all at different times, uh, including a doubleheader on the 15th. So, you know, we'll get a we'll get a nice long look at him. Christopher Sanchez makes the first start to begin the second half. Then you're throwing Taiwan Walker and Zach Wheeler at them. Um, you know, I think we have a pretty good idea of who these Phillies are, by which I mean they are the kind of team that can be good, but you can't always trust them to be good. They're inconsistent, but have shown a lot of promise in the last, uh, let's say, five weeks of the first half, which is really encouraging that we're talking about a five-week window and not like a seven-day window like I was talking about with the Padres. So, you know, again, I think we kind of know what we have in the Phillies, and they've built a foundation they can build off of. I think everyone's expecting a lot more uh, from some guys in this lineup um, moving forward. But the Padres, if they want to make the postseason, if they want to be the team they're built to be, they're going to have to expect a lot a lot more going into the second half. And that starts against the Phillies in Philadelphia since April 18th in 15 starts for the Padres. Blake Snell owns a dominant 2.22 ERA with 116 strikeouts and 85 innings. He had three rough starts to begin the year. His ERA was somewhere around seven. Uh, and I, uh, I think the fans were pretty much 
giving up on him. Uh, and then he really put together a bunch of starts that showed, yeah, no, the real Blake Snell is still in the, in there, and the Phillies are going to face him during this series. So that won't be easy. Uh, you mentioned Tatis. Fernando Tatis leads the leads the team with a 525 slugging percentage, 16 home runs, and he's second with 14 stolen bases. Uh, he's considered probably one of the most dy- dynamic hitters in this lineup. Uh, Tatis is he, he, he could easily achieve a 30-30 season, uh, and it would be the first one in Padres history. Uh, then you have Hassong Kim. His bat has uh, really woken up. He now has a 113 OPS plus. He's second on the team with a 349 on base percentage. Uh, he's even been leading off a bit and been playing great defense for them. So these are some things that have been going right for the Padres. But then you have guys like Jake Cronenworth. He has been really disappointing this year. Xander Bogarts hasn't really been hitting. Manny Machado only recently started hitting. And the bullpen could use like several more reliable arms. And then, of course, there's Juan Soto, uh, who our friend Chris Jones is trying to start a one-man rumor mill in which Juan Soto is headed for the Phillies. Best of luck to him and his endeavors. But Juan Soto has been a lot quieter than the Padres would like as well, as though uh, he is leading the league in walks, however. Uh, the Padres are reportedly ready to be aggressive at the trade deadline as buyers and sellers. Uh, this is from The Athletic. In extra inning at-bats this season, the Padres have gone 1-for-21. The lone hit was an infield single. I thought that was an interesting statistic. So if the Phillies want to win some of these games, push the Padres into extra innings. That's going to be, you're going to instantly have the advantage. Um, and again, like I said, the Padres did finish the first half winning five of six and finally looked to be getting the momentum they had been searching for before the break. So uh, I think this is uh, probably you're going to see some some games where like depending on the starter and the, like the starters performance, one team will um, pretty quickly have the advantage over the other. But yeah, these are two teams that have largely underwhelmed and the Padres have underwhelmed a lot harder because I think the amount of star power on their team is is more formidable than, than the Phillies, honestly. They had uh, 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 Soto, Machado, Bogarts, and Tatis. Like, when you're listing superstars and you always forget one, that's an insane lineup. <laughs> so the Padres, I think, have a higher ceiling than the Phillies, but I don't believe this group has ever hit it. <laughs> I, I can never remember how many of them there are, but I do remember that however many of them are, not all of them are hitting well. <laughs> That's yeah. always, always very true. Case, you know, but I was, I was just looking, I was stunned into silence by uh, Blake Snell. I was looking at his ERA since, uh, since May 1st, just mm-hmm. discounting April since May 1st, it's a 2.04 ERA. Yeah. He has, yeah. he has really been on one. 75. boon. Yeah, 75 innings, 13 them. games, how many? 106 strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, he's he has found the the gear he was looking for, I think you can say. So yeah. the Padres are coming in with a ton of talent that, again, is largely unrealized. They're looking to do some damage in the second half. Uh, we'll see what happens as they start this four-game series tonight in Philadelphia. Uh, but I'll, I'll mention one more thing uh, before we finish up. The trade deadline rumor mill is is beginning to churn. You know, whispers that are largely just, you know, hot garbage. But uh, still, whispers, rumors, various links and projections and predictions are starting to make their way into the news cycle. And, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of talk of what the Phillies might get up to. And they Nolan Arenado was approached at the All-Star game. 
and asked, you know, do you expect to be traded? Like, what do you want to happen? And Derek Gold of the St. Louis Dispatch, uh, Post-Dispatch, talked about, you know, talked to him, and, and uh, you know, he said he wants to stay in St. Louis, but, you know, you never, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, let's just cut to it, Liz. The idea of the Phillies and Arenado. I mean, our own John Stolnes tweeted uh, on July 11th, adding Nolan Arenado would be huge for the Phillies, and I'm not against it. Bohm would probably be involved in a deal, and one of the pitching prospects would likely have to go too. Maybe the offensive upgrade at third base means you can live with a Marsh-Pache combo in left in left field and center field. Um, yeah, obviously this deal would send Alec Bohm out of town, and you're going to have to start picturing him in a Cardinals uniform if you're thinking about this deal. Uh, it also includes, yeah, you know, guys like Mick Abel, Griff McGarry, you know, those three pitching prospects that I know people consider very highly. I don't think Andrew Painter's going anywhere. But uh, the other two, you know, they would have to be on the table. Uh, the Phillies would be swapping out one of their few young homegrown guys. I think the young part is a little more important, but they'd be swapping out one of their few one of those guys uh, for another established Major League All-Star in his early 30s. And I mean, you know, obviously having Nolan Arenado at third, playing third for the Phillies into his age 35 season, which is what no. his contract would dictate. Um, you know, there, there would be times where that would certainly be a huge boon for the Phillies. But I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems like shouldn't it? This was kind of a reminder where you're like, it should be working a lot better with the guys that are here. Because we have acquired mm-hmm. a lot of guys like yeah. this who are established major leaguers in their primes, uh, who can hit, who have specialties. Guys like Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, even like Bryce Harper. You know, they traded for JT Real Muto. These guys are Trey Turner. These guys are all in the same uh, kind of class, I think, like in the same age bracket at least. And, you know, they, for the most part, have not been the players that you wanted them to be. Yeah, Nick Castellanos has looked great this year. I couldn't be more pleased with his success. What a huge comeback. I hope he's comeback player of the year. He kind of deserves to be. Um, but for the most part, guys like Trey Turner haven't played uh, to their ceilings. Bryce Harper has obviously been hurt. He's been missing a lot of time. Uh, Kyle Schwarber looks lost occasionally and struggling to keep his batting average at 200. Um, you know, this it should be working already with these guys without having to add Arenado. Now, that being said, it hasn't. So this would be Dave Dombrowski working to make the team better, you know, doing his job and being like, okay, well, this isn't working for whatever reason, then I'll make another trade. And this is a very Dave Dombrowski kind of trade. When he showed up, it was like, oh, he's going to raid the farm system and, and acquire all these, you know, major leaguers who are very familiar, but are closer to the end of their primes than the beginning. Like, that's his M.O., but the Phillies didn't have a farm system to trade, so he kind of made a bunch of stuff work, and it was impressive how he improved the team. But now you're looking at a situation where, hey, maybe the Phillies want to add another bat. Why not add a big bat? Why not pick from the carcass of the St. Louis Cardinals, who are having an absolutely abysmal season (laughs) and have two top-tier hitters in their lineup? Uh, And... You know, that sounds great on paper, but then you're also giving up young guys. And the Phillies don't have a lot of young guys. And Alec Bohm has been a very promising, encouraging, and fun player to watch this year. Again, he went from having three errors in a game last year at a time when we thought he would never be able to play defense at third to making a play a couple days ago that he got compared to Mike Schmidt for. And <laughs> that's becoming more more often the case that he's making good stops at third base. And he's a like regular line drive hitter. He's been their best hitter with runners and scoring position so i don't know i mean i i don't i I think hearing about this you know again just a rumor um that's just fun to talk about hearing this my instinctive reaction was i don't think you can i don't at this point i don't think you can give up more youth 
for another guy who's like 32. Again, like Arenado would be great. You know, it would be fun to watch him play and and be an offensive charge in this lineup. But you're also, you know, again, just a reminder, it should be working better by now. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And you have to ask yourself, or at least Dave Dombrowski is asking himself, do we trust that Boehm will get better, that, you know, that Boehm is worth giving up? Have we gotten, is there more that we can get from him? Is it worth, you know, getting rid of, you know, getting rid of him for Arenado? I, I don't love that, but I would also say that, you know, I, I want to just trust Dave Dabrowski. How's that? I feel like he'll end Fair up doing enough. the right thing. He's done the right thing so far. I would not like to see Alec Bohm go, but we also have to recognize that the way that the Phillies got to the World Series last year may not be the way they get there in the future, and, and that's a way they may, that may not be available to them in the future. You know? The well, good that, teams aren't the always like, going to fall on their faces. Doesn't this kind of indicate the Phillies don't – like? as far as contention windows go, wouldn't this be saying like, yeah, we're kind of just playing to win a world series and then who cares what happens next rather than, yeah, we want to build a team that can always be in contention. that can regularly be in contention to win the world series. Like, wouldn't this move kind of be more indicative of like, let's just throw whatever, you know, it's like when you go on vacation and things start going wrong and you're like, let's just throw money at this until we're having fun again. And that essentially just is like what this move would, would be telling me if they, you know, how it was like really surprising when they signed Castellanos on top of signing Kyle Schwarber, if they had only signed one of those guys, which was what had been expected at the time, then this move, you know, like a time later feels like, a move you make because it's like okay we need another guy but they like had they added the other guy back then so now they're adding another another guy and that's why to me it almost feels like okay we gotta you know we gotta Gilding add another established big leader yeah you know so and I, I don't know i mean the gilding lily thing is is standing out to me because they do have all the pieces they need and as we remember from last year you can't guys are just going to have problems not every guy knows how to get himself out of a hole. Sometimes it takes someone an entire year to figure things out. Uh, we would love for that to not be the Trey Turner's case, but it might be. This is not as this is not who he is. He's better than this, and I think we all know that. I think Dave Dabrowski knows that. And so when you look at their areas of actual need, what do they need? I don't mm-hmm. think Dabrowski is going to spend time getting something they don't actually need if Trey we'll Turner see. improves I mean, just a little bit yeah that's the thing the Phillies have a great deadline acquisition waiting for them in the unclaimed wins above replacement among their current players yep. <laughs> you know what I mean mm-hmm. like they have like maybe even like two whole guys worth of offensive production to still mine just from this waiting. current crop yeah just up there so I guess the regions I guess that's what I'm thinking as far as like, boy, this just feels like a hat on a hat. But at the same yeah. time, if you see an opportunity to improve, a guy like Dave Dombrowski is going to take it. So we'll see what happens. There'll obviously be more trade deadline talk moving forward before the end of July. Uh, but yeah, like that's that's among the current whispers out there right now. And it's something really interesting to, to consider. I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade with the Cardinals for the same reason <sighs> I wouldn't trade with the Rays.
I was going to say, like, trading with the Rays, you're always just like, hmm, what are you up to? What are you getting over on me? I feel like yep. I'm, I've already lost. They are, exactly, they're pulling the wool over your head every time, and they're, they're getting back something that you mm-hmm. will want back. And so the, I would the, not, I wouldn't trade with them unless I absolutely had to. They got Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt for steals, yep. if I'm recalling correctly, mm-hmm. from two teams that were just like, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the Phillies are not a whatever team. And so, no. and Dave Dombrowski does not get fleeced. As no, we've that's, seen. That's true. His deals have been largely good. Even with the guys doing well this year, I think the trades he's made are more than, you know, just defendable. You know, they could stand on their own as good trades and ones that benefited the Phillies. So I, I trust him to do the right thing. I agree. And yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see what happens as the trade deadline nears. Uh, well, before we wrap up here, uh, Liz, everybody's talking about the Immaculate Grid. That fun baseball, <laughs> very basic game. Uh, that's To me, Like it's like the same thing as playing the New York Times mini crossword or something in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. except it's entirely baseball oriented. Uh, it was just recently and purchased by Sports <laughs> Reference. Yeah, and that's, that's the other thing. I'm terrible at it. It, yeah. it requires you, for anyone unfamiliar, it requires you to find, um, uh, to, to basically link up your players, come up with players who have played for two different teams or players who played for a team and have a st- certain statistic. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's a lot of fun, but I am very bad at it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm also bad at it. Um, some people are very good at it. I have a lot of friends who are very good at it. Um, but the, the good folks at, Sports Reference, uh, the the creators of your favorite sites, Baseball Reference, NFL Reference, NBA Reference, and so on, um, they purchased it, um, and they were doing the deal. All of the people involved in in the Sports Reference part of the deal were at Saber with me last weekend, <laughs> like Sean Foreman <laughs> and Adam Dorowski. Like they have forty employees now, like you know, around the country and actually the globe. And a bunch of them were there last weekend, and they kept having to run away as everyone was just constantly talking about the Immaculate Grid. And what they did is they acquired (laughs) it and made it better. Because now you can look at the, you can look up the players, you can look up the stats, you can learn something. And that is apparently what baseball players are doing. The game yes. is apparently all the rage in in baseball clubhouses, and it has the most wonderful benefit, especially since now you can see everyone who qualified in that you know in a certain square. It is teaching the young guys about about baseball history, like someone um, didn't know who Tom Seaver was. Someone didn't know oh, who Lord. Kurt Flood was it, on the Yankees. Someone didn't know who Kurt Flood was. And Garrett Cole, their MLBPA, MLBPA representative said, oh, we're going to clean that up right quick. Yeah, you better. Exactly. <laughs> but like not young players. There is no basic education. Like, do they get a welcome? Like now they're going to be now the minor leaguers are part of the, you know, their own union slash the MLBPA. And so, you know, there should there needs to be a welcome pat, like welcome to the union. You are you are in the minor leagues. You are now part of the union. This is our history. And that's a great intro. But 
Otherwise, like, this is just such a cool opportunity for players to learn the history of their own game, especially since MLB keeps such a tight fist on game footage and highlights from earlier in baseball. They they just grip them. They, they don't want anyone to have them or see them but them. So this is an awesome opportunity. Everyone go check out the Immaculate Grid. I'm, I've started... I'm going to try and do it like every day. Take a guess, even if I don't know, and check out what I don't know and learn things every day. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's really satisfying to complete an Immaculate Grid, and you can play it at ImmaculateGrid.com. I mean, it's free. It's just a lot of fun. This is not an advertisement. I'm no. just saying it's the thing that's ca- it's captivating all of baseball from the they fans to the players. So. Yeah. They don't charge for it. They don't charge for it. Everyone can go play. The sites are free. It's a beautiful thing. Well, that'll do it for this episode. For more episodes of Hitting Season, head on over to billypen.com slash Hitting Season. And for some bonus Phillies content, including a new episode of The Dirty Inning about the Phillies scrub who ended Don Drysdale's famous 52 and two-thirds inning scoreless streak in 1968, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash Hitting Season. Uh, for $5 a month, you get access to content like The Dirty Inning as well as uh, many other things. Thanks for listening. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue, that's Liz Rocher, and this has been Hitting Season.